Hey guys, welcome to episode number 71 of the Mimi B Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Mimi Bouchard, and you're listening to the Mimi B Magazine podcast, a lifestyle podcast all on health, relationships, sex, career, and self-development. This podcast is designed to entertain, inspire, and to motivate you to become the best version of yourself possible. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey guys, today I'm here with Anna Jones. She's the co-founder of Albright, the mostly women's uh, private members club in London, and that you're about to also open up in Hollywood, aren't That's you? That's right, we are, yeah. Amazing. It's very exciting. I'm so excited for you. Can we just start with letting um, our listeners know just about Albright and what you guys stand for, what you guys do, and what makes you different? Sure, of course. Um, So you are sitting in the first Albright uh, Members Club, which is in Bloomsbury in London. We opened it almost a year ago on International Women's Day, so we're really excited because we've got our anniversary coming up and we're going to have a whole week of exciting uh, events and panel talks and things. Basically, we um, we launched the club because we felt like there was nowhere that women could come together and network in a way that felt like organized serendipity, if you like. So I think one of the things that we, my co-founder and I spotted throughout our career, and I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about what my career was later, maybe, was that women um, are traditionally fantastic at networking with their family and friend groups and they're usually brilliant with their colleagues but they're usually so often uh, focused on the job in hand and keeping their head down and just getting on with things that they're not thinking about how to expand their network beyond their sector and actually it's what it's the people you meet during your career that help inspire you you get different ideas about things you know you see different paths to you know your your own potential career and um you know we 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 have spent quite a lot of time bringing together a community of women talking about you know a lot of the issues that we're facing around you know there's not enough funding going towards female entrepreneurs it's only two percent of venture capital goes towards female entrepreneurs there are not enough women in uh, executive positions of power if you like in companies so you look at UK companies and only one in six C-suite roles so by that I mean kind of the people who are in charge of the businesses and kind of making them run Mm -hmm. are women and so you know we we knew this huge number of women who wanted to start their own businesses who wanted to scale businesses that they already had or who had big ambitions for their careers but things were holding them back and one of the things was that they didn't have somewhere that they could come, network, meet new people, um, be inspired every day and have a sort of home from home, but somewhere that wasn't, you know, their home and wasn't their, their, their place of work. So we, um, we, we, we basically designed a building that would be somewhere that women could come from very early in the morning till late at night and it would be really flexible around their needs. So it's somewhere that you can have a cocktail and you can have fun with your girlfriends and have a nice dinner. It's somewhere that you can listen to really interesting content every day. So we have different panel talks, we have workshops, we have a club within a club, we have book clubs and comedy nights and screen 
screenings and self-development workshops, but we also have um, delicious food. You know, we're very focused on female producers. We have a salon here, so it's all about being able to have that quick express treatment, get your nails done, get a blowout, all the things that, frankly, when I was working in a big corporation, I didn't have time to do. So we have, um, we're a year in, and it has been uh, hugely, hugely popular to the extent that much as it's a beautiful Georgian townhouse, it's on sort of five floors, it's not big enough. So we are opening our second club in Mayfair uh, in a couple of months time in May, um, which is four times the size. Um, and we're super excited about that. And then the next um, the next thing we're doing is, is opening our first international club, which is on Melrose Place in West Hollywood in L.A., in June this is insane (laughs) you are like skyrocketing so high this is amazing and what an amazing like concept just for a community because I feel like there was that I was lacking that as well and there's the Soho houses and stuff that's like I don't know just a completely different vibe you walk in here and it just feels very collaborative and creative and you kind of want to talk to people and that's so true as well like as women we're so confident around our friends and family and even in our workplace often but there is a struggle meeting new people and I always hear my friends saying this as well it's like oh like I want to go to that event tonight because like I want to meet people like I feel like I'm not meeting people these days like Mm -hmm. that you know, goes through my head as well. Like I went to an event last night just, you know, simply to meet more people. And we live in London. Like this should be easier, but it's not. So Mm. I love how the whole brand ethos is just like collaborating and working together. And I totally believe that your network is your net worth. Uh, absolutely. And and the, the ethos behind the business is this thing around sisterhood works. Mm. So, you know, we have done lots of research into looking at how important it is to develop those networks and to kind of help each other along the way. And it's the, the, what we absolutely love is what happens when people come across each other who wouldn't normally. So, for example, you know, I met you here. Yeah. You know, I'm double your age. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily meet you in a, in a different sort of environment. And actually, I've really reflected on our meeting since I met you here around a lot of the things that you said and the way that you're approaching life and your sort of, um, you know, just your mantras and how you work and how you think about the world is it's inspiring to me it's really Thank really you. interesting That's so sweet. and you know I, I, that wouldn't that wouldn't happen honestly because mm-hmm. you know before I had this company I was the chief executive of a very big company I was I ran Hearst magazines in the UK yeah let's talk about that for a second because that's a major so it was a big job you know and I had a thousand people and I we published some of the best known magazine brands out there from Cosmopolitan Harper's Bazaar and Elle and you know it, lots of lots of, of, of brands that, that you know but when you are the boss you don't necessarily get to spend time with people who are you know the younger generation who are just coming into the business because there are kind of lots and lots of layers in between and I think you know one of my um, the reasons that my inspiration really for starting Albright and co-founding Albright and I'll tell you about my partner in a minute but was that 
it was really strange to have a female chief executive. And you think, why? Why would that be strange? That business had been in existence for over 100 years. It reached a third of women in the UK. It had so many well-known female brands. It had a couple of male brands as well, Squire and Men's Health as well, but mainly female brands. And it was not normal for women to be chief executives um, in the publishing world. And I, you know, when I got that role, I guess, I mean, I was delighted. It was very exciting. But it does start to make you think, well, this is weird. Why am I the only person at the time in the industry and in my industry in the newspapers and magazines, I was the only female chief executive. And that is strange. And so you, you start, yeah. it bothered me. You know, I, I, I was, you know, delighted. I loved doing, doing the role, but you do then start thinking, well, why, what are the reasons that there are not more women in these roles? Um, and, and, and then I, I guess for me, the exciting thing was speaking of serendipity, I was set up with my now co-founder by a mutual friend. So we were um, introduced by him at his birthday party and he just said, look, you two should be friends. And I literally sort of grabbed us and shoved us together and we st- <laughs> we stood in the corner of, of this party just chatting to each other all night, you know, which really wasn't really good for networking. But, you know, it was really exciting because... She was from a very different background to me. She's a serial entrepreneur. She's a tech entrepreneur. Um, at the time, she was running her third company, which was uh, called Love Home Swap, which is a home exchange business. Mm. And she, I guess, was starting to think about what to do next. But one of the things that we were reflecting on is why are there so few women? So, you know, in her industry, in, in tech, it was probably even more marked. There were a kind of handful of well-known, prominent um, female mm founders and 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 chief executives and we just I guess we're both doers you know we both sort of see a problem and rather than just talking about it we felt like this is something that we can start to help resolve I mean look it's not there is absolutely no silver bullet but part of the answer we felt was about giving people physical giving women physical spaces to come together and using those spaces as a platform for celebration. So rather than kind of going, oh, women are awesome, down with men, which we don't agree with, we wanted something which was completely celebratory. So the art on the walls in the building is all by female artists. We use female producers for the food. We're female vineyards. You know, we have, um, we've mentioned our, our, our beauty salon. We've just, we're just changing a room at the moment into being a screening room. So we show, you know, amazing female led produced directed starred in films and shorts and documentaries. And we just wanted to be celebratory. It's not to say that we don't, um, have enlightened men along with us on the journey because we do because we re- we believe the only way to really make a change is to involve them in the conversation and they're welcome in the club I mean you probably when you walked in you'll have seen a handful of guys in here for meetings lunches drinks you know but they can't really have a membership but they they're not members in. yeah they're not members and you know that's that's our, our ethos our ethos is we're unashamedly tailored towards women but men are welcome love that that's so inclusive and that means that no men can hate on you because <laughs> they're they're allowed in here. I think men, I think men love being in the yeah. building. You know, I think they enjoy it, and I think we just want to normalise it that you um, it's your club. 
you know, it should be normal to say for, for any woman to say, well, why don't you come to my club? Mm-hmm. You know, and it not be a weird thing. And obviously for centuries, it's been very much about you no know, men saying, no, come to my club. By mm-hmm. the way, women are not even allowed in a lot of them or they weren't traditionally. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to kind of turn it on its head. I love that. That's amazing. So you've you're you're opening two more in the next like five months. We are, yeah. We're, how, we're crazy. How are you scaling this? Like you you've only <laughs> had this one open for a year. Like it's crazy how how fast you're doing it all. What are some tips that you have for for an entrepreneur or a business owner that that feels like a bit scared to grow? So I think, you know, it, it's, it's partly to do the mindset. So you have to think about what do you really want to achieve? And I, one of the things I'm often asked to talk about is this thing, this idea of corner office to co-founder. So why did you leave that corner office and run away with the circus kind of thing? Because, you know, the entrepreneurial journey is a bit of a white knuckle, uh, a white water raft ride, I suppose. Um, so I think you have to think about your motivations and for us I had a a big job my co-founder had sold a company a very successful company and we didn't want to do something small the opportunity was very large we could see this enormous open goal in front of us and a kind of feeling of a zeitgeist shift Um, we had positive momentum you know we were um, really overwhelmed with the number of people who wanted to be members and who were gaining something and really getting their, uh, you know, their lives are changing by being in this community and being a membership. That's very galvanizing as a founder and as a, a sort of ex-marketer myself. If you see that something's working, you just need to keep fueling that fire. Um, and so we, um, I, I guess we, we came up with the idea before all of the, me too, times up, movements, and the kind of general, it feels like there's a zeitgeist shift. You know, it feels like that women are now saying, we want some change, we want equality, we want inclusion, and we're prepared to actually lean into it. You know, it's not just something we're talking about, we actually want change in a positive way. And so I guess for me, it's about, can you every day envisage what would it look like if there were no obstacles in the way. What would it be like? Mm. And then to, to me, um, I mean, maybe as a person, and luckily I have found a co-founder who is, although different and has a different background, she had, we have a very similar temperament, and that is that we are doers, we're fixers, and we are relentlessly positive. We're very optimistic people, so yes. we always think there's a way around it. Um, and so I think if you are a problem solver and you can think about that big vision, what's the North Star, if you like, and keep reminding yourself of that every day, um, then you just really need to go for it. I mean, look, there are challenges every single day, and there are difficulties, and you know, some days it's difficult to um, to come up with that solution. It's difficult to think about that workaround. But I think if you can surround yourself by people who are your cheerleaders and sort of help build that sisterhood out, which was what I've done with my co-founder, my friends and my team here, then you start to realize that anything's possible. And if that becomes the mantra, you know, one of the the main kind of core values of our business is sisterhood works, Mm. live it, deliver it, and keep, keep, keep moving towards that North Star. 
It's amazing. I love what you said about the visualization thing. I was actually watching a YouTube video this morning. It was like a guided visualization. I've been really trying to do that lately. And it's so true. Like there's so much science behind visualizing and imagining how big you can do something. It's not just that kind of woo-woo, be positive. There's like literal science behind it. Yeah. Like I won't get into the science part of it because I'm obviously (laughs) no no scientist. But um, there's something in your brain called the RAS system, reticulation activating system and it's basically the part of your brain that decides what you focus on like if we focused on everything in our day-to-day life like our brain would explode there's so much going on around us yeah you know even looking at a computer screen going on Facebook and seeing how many words there are everywhere or in this room we are in like if you if you noticed every detail you'd go crazy so Mm -hmm. that's why your brain has the RAS system and or RAS reticular acting system and and yeah, your beliefs and and everything that you've thought up to this point and everything that you've experienced up to this point in your life is is why your RAS thinks a certain way or is, is structured a certain way. So when you start changing the way you think, what you do starts to change inevitably. So your reactions will become will will be different. So if if you're just you know, being negative all the time and you're telling yourself, oh, I could never do this. Oh, I'm just not lucky. Like I wasn't born into money. Oh, and you're just acting like a victim. That's where your RAS is, is, you know, pointing in that direction. So if you start actually believing and, you know, even if it just, it's starting with affirmations or, or, you know, writing in a journal and talking to yourself and kind of self-reflecting and, and going into your soul a bit more and you start to actually you know, try to restructure those beliefs into thinking, you know what, I actually can do whatever I want in my life, which is actually the truth in Mm -hmm. real life, you can. Mm -hmm. And I actually can achieve this big thing. I actually can, you know, feel like this, look like this, have these relationships. Then you stop looking for the reasons that you can't. Mm -hmm. And then your life starts to change. So I love that. But I think you're absolutely right around taking the time out so the other part of our business is the Albright Academy because what we realized was to really make a difference and to have a business that's kind of got a mission behind it that the physical spaces and the clubs are fabulous and amazing but you know they're in London and in LA what if you live in Manchester or in you know Milwaukee yeah um, how do you attach yourself to the Albright mission and the Albright community and so we launched the Albright Academy and the Albright Academy is basically our free digital education platform and we have two courses soon to be three courses one is for people who work for someone else so it's our executive course called smashing the glass ceiling and the other is for founders called doing it for yourself and they have different modules but there's a crossover in the modules and the first module is all about self motivate your self-reflection and what are your motivations what are your values and what are your motivations and i think if you think about those carefully and really spend the town time on project you what do you want to get from your career and your life i mean ours are very focused on on work um it that sets you down a path and and no path is wrong to your point so if you want to reach for the stars and grow a kind of enormous company with hundreds of people then that's something for other people there are different motivations and I think having some clarity around that 
gives you a framework that you can then work towards and then you know you have that you then start building out your networks and building out the community to help you deliver it It, and and it's a way forward so when we started the business my co-founder debbie every time we were asked about it she would say well we're building an empire you know she would sort of say it before we'd even open this space or and it was to your point on a positive affirmation it was like we've set our store up that's what we're going to do that's your standard yeah so we're, we're we're doing it that's amazing. I love that. Yeah, you can't like start like any big thing starts with an idea. And whoever is like embarrassed to say, Oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, like it's you're not gonna get there. You know what I mean? I remember being like 18 years old and I had uh just left university because I like I left after a year. I was like, This is so not for me. Um, I wanna just start something of my of my own right now. And I told this girl that I knew, um, in uni and I said to her I'm like I want my own talk show on tv and she was like what and back then that's what I really wanted and who knows in the future I might have that but um I said this big goal of mine and she literally laughed in my face let's just say she's not she's no friend anymore (laughs) um and you know I don't think you should ever surround yourself with people that don't believe in you um but it was just so crazy to see someone just be so like scared of a big idea and I think well I remember when when we met um, and we first met and you said to me you know that it it feels like it's not a very British way of approaching it because you were like look I think if you don't ask how do you know you don't get you don't get and I I was stuck in my head ever since actually just sort of thinking okay it's just it's it's a very sort of non-British way of thinking actually I mean I think things are changing um, but I also think it's um, people assume that that's grabby and that that it is negative mm-hmm. rather than being actually it could be ambitious and thinking about how to hustle because there's nothing wrong with hustling anyone who's running a business or who wants to really get to the top of their career you have to do a bit of hustle and that's really about thinking of the connections that you need and the and and how you can navigate the path to get to that overall mm. career goal or, or goal for your, your yeah. company it's the what if I think that's what kills me it's like it's easier to not say anything if you are at a party and there's someone across the room that you think would help with this new business venture you're you know embarking on but it's easy to not to not take action because that's comfort right that's where we're in our comfort zone but if you just think of the what if and the you, you start becoming scared of the regret you'll go up and you'll talk to them and you'll do that thing or take that action. Because at the end of the day, for me personally, my biggest fear is regret. Mm. My biggest fear is waking up one morning, you know, at 70 or 80 years old and looking back on my life and, and thinking to myself, oh God, I messed up this one opportunity, this one chance to live to my highest potential and I didn't do it. Mm. Like that thought alone freaks me out. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how I go about life. I'm, you know, anything small from from asking somebody I don't know, like okay, obviously I have a boyfriend, but like <laughs> if there was this gorgeous guy and we had this connection and he was too shy to say something, I would probably, you know, say something or do something and and put myself out there because the regret thing is is terrifying and I always say like I said before, if you don't ask, you don't get. You know, most people around you aren't thinking about oh like what does Mimi want like how can we help Mimi it's like everyone's thinking about themselves realistically you know so where do you think you got that confidence from 
Oh my gosh. I used to not be that confident. I used mm. to be a fake confident person <laughs> when I was like in high school and stuff. I used to just like always just want to be in the cool crowd and it was a fake confidence, this weird persona that I'm so not. Um, but to be honest with you, I think it's come over time and some days I don't have it at all and some days I have a lot of it, but uh, it's a self-image thing. I've, I've structured my self-image so that I am a confident person. You know, I see myself as the kind of person that is successful and there's no other option for me. I see myself as the kind of person that is loving and caring towards my family and friends, who's supportive, who is nice and positive and never, you know, makes anyone feel bad about themselves because mm-hmm. I don't like that in other people. So I don't want to be that. I think a lot of self-reflection has made me confident and also just realizing that when I'm confident, I'm more fun to be around mm-hmm. and I make people feel good about themselves. And I really like that feeling. Um, because I've met people in my life that when I've been a bit blah and down, they've been really uplifting and confident and have taken me out of that funk. So I like to be that at this point, it's something I don't think about. Generally, I am just confident to begin with, but I, it took a lot of time of, you know, learning about myself and reading a lot of personal growth books and, just doing a lot of self-reflection and self-work, I would say. What about mm-hmm. you? How about mm-hmm. like in your career? Let's talk about, you know, obviously you were head of Hearst, which yeah. is insane. Like how, how did you get there even, especially because you were the only woman really yeah. that high up? Like, did you have to ever go, you know, through these obstacles and men not thinking you were enough? Like, let's talk about that. So I guess I'm just always interested in that thing around whether, what is it? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Mm. Or or is it a combination of the two? And I I suppose I've had to reflect on it quite a lot since I've, you know, launched this company. But my background is I'm the eldest of four girls. I was brought up in the middle of nowhere in in the Yorkshire countryside, before the internet (laughs) and I guess my mother is Danish so she's very you know the Scandinavian countries have traditionally been more focused on equality and there Mm -hmm. isn't really the big sort of difference between men and women and, and the perception of what men and women can do my dad had four girls and so he became a feminist <laughs> because why wouldn't he? He had to. And I was surrounded by strong women, my grandmother, my mother, my sisters. And we were sort of taught from a very early age or shown that there was nothing we couldn't do. And so I really just believed there was nothing I couldn't do. I, I just thought, well, yeah, whatever, whatever I feel like doing, I'm sure there's a way. And that kind of went through my schooling and through my degree. I did a business degree um, and I went to a business school in France and I was, you know, I did well and I came out into the world of work and suddenly I was like, wow, okay, it really is quite different here, isn't it? Mm. That actually as a woman, it is different. I mean, this is quite a long time ago now, but it's different. And I realized I was going to have to navigate things in a slightly different way. That's not to say that I didn't have that inner confidence because I I still did, but I realized quite quickly that I needed to find work in in an environment that on the brands or in a business that I felt passionately about and that I could keep learning, um, keep learning in. And for me, that was, um, I mean, I did various jobs, but I landed my, uh, I worked in video games. I worked in communications. I landed a a job. I, I knew I wanted to do something in marketing and I went to into marketing for a big publisher 
at a time when it was really quite rock and roll to be in publishing. So you kind of thought of an idea for a magazine, um, produced it, put it out on the newsstand and bang, it sold, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies a week. So we did Heat and we had Closer magazine and we had a men's magazine called FHM, which was selling a million copies a month. You know, it was so it was a bit, it was sort of like probably the equivalent to working at Instagram or something yeah. now. Very buoyant, very fun. Yeah. And I guess my um, my ethos was always just put your hand up for challenges. Um, say you'll do something. If that project is there or there's something else to do, make it known that you, you're interested and that you'll do it. Kind of put your hand up for it. Um, and then work hard. Like I'm, you know, I'm an, I'm a northerner and we have this thing about grafting, you know, just it's hard work. You have to work hard. There's no sort of shortcuts, mm-hmm. but there are things that you can do. Hard work, put your hand up for things. And then I guess over time I developed a, a reputation of being a fixer because I'd be somebody who could, was quite good at uh, taking complicated issues and simplifying them and galvanizing people around a project to deliver it on time and hopefully well. Um, and I was, I was lucky enough to work with people who sort of spotted potential in me. And so having those ingredients for someone who said, yeah, okay, I'll do it, who worked hard and who could problem solve meant that I got to do lots of different types of roles within publishing. So I've, I've done, you know, I've been a publisher. I've run, I was a digital director. I've been strategy director. I was marketing director. Um, I've done lots of different roles and, uh, ultimately when the, one of the companies that I worked for that published L and Red and, many other magazines that you'll have heard of was bought by Hearst. I assumed at that time, okay, that's it. Then that my entrepreneurial journey can begin because I'd always had this sort of entrepreneurial itch to scratch. But I'd had bosses who'd sort of seen that I was probably had that itch to scratch and just kept giving me more projects. And when the moment came and the, when our company was bought, they actually asked me if I would go in as the chief operating officer, which is basically just below the chief executive and bring those companies, two companies together. And it was the biggest challenge of my career. I mean, you know, I, I had to go in and manage um, a lot of people who were more, who'd more experienced than me, who were older than me, who didn't really want to change. Some of them really did. Some of them really didn't. Yeah. Um, lots of senior men. Um, and there was lots of sort of high emotion because, you know, there was lots of change happening in the industry. Um, and I, I'm a, a, quite a calm person. So I'm definitely an impatient person. I want things done today because I always think that you can move at pace and you should move at pace pace um, because everything around you is being disrupted and if you're not moving at pace then someone else is but I'm quite a calm person so I think I didn't let a lot of that high emotion and um, difficulty with restructuring and thinking about brands and thinking about media differently um, really impact me Um, and so I suppose I was seen as a safe pair of hands and somebody who felt very passionately about the brands Um, and I was lucky enough to work with incredibly creative people and I love working with creative people because I think in my in a previous life um, maybe I was an artist or a creative because I've always loved that my mother's an artist but I'm not you know I'm not an artist myself I'm I'm a creative problem solver but when I realized that that was how I should funnel my own creativity into sort of 
problem solving and business challenges and working alongside creative people, um, hopefully doing interesting creative work um, that I could excel. So, you know, a lot of ingredients coming together, but sort of working in an area and on brands that I felt passionately about really got me out of mm. bed in, in, in the morning. And I think I think that shows, you know, you, you can't fake that. You can't no. fake that passion. Um, and I think it's it's something that's hugely important and probably not spoken about that much because it does, I think that gives you the a bit of X factor if you are working on a business or in a sector that you really feel strongly about, mm. then you just give it a little bit more. You give it your all. Yeah. You go above and beyond. Yeah. And that's, I think, how most people reach massive success is always going the extra mile. Always, 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 always. So that's amazing. I love that. Did you ever have to, you know, come face to face with men that were kind of, you know, looking at you and sneering and thinking, why is she in this role or, or whatnot? All all the time. I mean, all the time, right through my career, um, I've had amazing enlightened men who've supported me and sponsored me along my career. I mean, really brilliant. And I have had extremely challenging, patronizing, you know, sexist behavior as have most women. Um, but I, uh, again, there's another sort of saying that, and I, I, that, that Debbie and I say to each other a lot and say, you just, you can either, you can either let that flatten you and squash you and, and, um, you know, have you running for the hills or you can use it as grist to your mill, as we say, which is basically use it to, to prove people wrong. Use it to, you know, I I actually quite enjoyed sometimes I go into forums and I've got, you know, a bit of a Northern accent. So, and I look a certain way. I'm, I've always been very petite. I'm very slim. You're gorgeous. I've got (laughs) everybody listening. She's this gorgeous, blonde, slim, Scandinavian woman. I look very scandal. (laughs) And you do have that, that thing of, uh, several occasions where people have asked me the the way or they've asked me to make the tea or and I love to turn around and go hello I'm Anna Jones I'm the chief executive you know it was really quite fun actually and then people are very flustered or I've had things where people have been extremely dismissive of me at a dinner party or whatever because they've assumed that I'm someone's wife well I am someone's wife fabulous but I'm someone important's wife and I'm not that interesting and then you suddenly, someone introduces you and says, oh, you know, this is Anna Jones. She's the chief executive of Hearst. And suddenly, oh, they're all ears and interested and wanting to talk to you. And, and I, again, I think you can either find it irritating or you can just find it quite funny and quite yeah. satisfying. But now you know who to not trust and who's fake. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It tells you a lot about people. That's crazy. Well, you definitely need confidence if you're going to have a big role like that because you're, you're, you, you need to kind of say like, no, listen, I'm this. Yeah, but I think you can learn it. And I think that's yeah. a big part of what we're trying to do with our, with the Albright Academy mm. is to give people practical tips and sort of pragmatic uh, advice on what they can actually action in their day-to-day life to help them feel more confident. Mm. Because to your point, it's a bit fake it before you make it. You know, I, I remember suddenly being thrust into this very big company in a big role. And I had to really think about having my game face on and imagining my armor and imagining, you know, you have to be, you have to fill the shoes of that role. So there are certain expectations about 
how you need to be. And it might feel a bit unnatural and a bit strange um, to start with, but there is an expectation. And if you're somebody who is, you know, if you're going through a period of huge change, which we were in our industry, if I was somebody who was really temperamental and up and down and shouting and bawling or terrified or, you know, overly emotional, uh, it would be very challenging for the organisation to... Um, to navigate that and so I realized that I had to be a certain way and even on the days when I didn't feel like it you know that's what the role demanded and so some of that stuff you can learn and so that's what we're we're really focused on um, with the Albright Academy is just giving those tips and tricks and also lots of inspiration from people who have done it whatever it is before and you know we're talking about everything from sort of negotiation skills mm. to building resilience thinking about personal mm. brand and and a lot of that stuff you learn along the way through experience but I wish I'd had that you know when I started out because a lot of it I've just learned through doing rather than necessarily being told that's why I love to read and always like digest new information and I always like to read books written by very successful people because I like to take their lessons and learn them so that I don't need to go through their mistakes. You know, how no. they've, they've taken their entire life. Like in a book, you know, I, I like to think that every book is like reading someone's lifetime of wisdom. Um, and every book, it's like, oh, I'm learning from their mistakes. So now I don't need to make them myself, which means that I'm going to excel way faster. And it's like, how many books can you read until you excel really, really quickly? Obviously, there are some things that Absolutely. you need to go through yourself, but... I think that's that's genius. But you can get the tips and tricks and also just hearing from people's personal experience. You know, again, I see that with the members here that, you know, where you might be meeting a girlfriend for a glass of wine and talking about, I don't know, what the wedding you've just been to or your holiday or whatever it may be. Here, quite often people will be doing that, but they will be talking about other things and they're, in a way they're sort of workshopping what's happening outside of the club. So, you know, there might be a conversation about, actually, I really want to go for that job or I'm going to go for a pay rise or actually, how do I get funded to do this, this and this with my company? And so having people around you that you can workshop that with if you haven't got time to read every book under the sun yeah. is hugely, hugely valuable and not something that you necessarily chat to your, you know, friends and, and family about every day. Mm, absolutely and I love that point about acting as if and faking it till you make it I always do that and that's like a massive tip that I always tell the listeners as well I with everything from like my confidence to even like my career like I I genuinely acted like that kind of person that got what I wanted and I wake up one morning you know a few years later and I'm getting those things and it's quite simple, you know, if, if you, and I'll use like body as an example, cause it's a really easy example. If you want to lose like 10 pounds, let's just say, and you don't know where to start, just start acting like the kind of person that is healthy, you know, toned and fit and you'll literally become them. What, what does that person do? Do they work out four times a week? Do they eat really healthy, nourishing foods? Do they, you know, stop eating when they're full? Do they emotional eat? Like, what What do they do? Sure. Because if you act like that kind of person, you're going to end up like them. Sure. So that's what I try to do as well. Yeah, I remember when I um, I used to come, my kids were quite young when I, uh, well, they still quite young, but they were very little when I got this job. It was a big job. And I would be quite, you know, I had to, to behave in a certain way at work and I was very pressured and I was um, often in lots of formal settings and having kind of difficult or strategic or interesting, whatever conversations. And um, I've always been quite a kind of manic, high energy person, but 
when I would walk down the road, I sort of lived down a long road, walk down the road to my house, and I used to imagine physically shedding my cloak, like physically, you know, my my sort of work yeah. armor, if you like, so that then by the time I got to my house and walked through the door. I was mummy again, You're you know, mummy. and I was yeah. like, I'm mummy, you know, rather than I'm chief executive and I'm really important <laughs> and I'm, you know, running around and I don't have time for this. And, you know, mm. to, to sort of, but I, I did go through that actual mental kind of, a, right, okay, I'm taking, I'm chucking the armor down there. I'm taking this off and I'm, I'm that's amazing. Shedding. Yeah. That's incredible. That's like, that's something everybody should take if they have an intense job. Because that's life changing. Have sure. the moment to do it. My um, my co-founder's version of it is when she gets back, she goes upstairs. She she her kitchen sort of downstairs. So rather than going down and seeing kids straight away, she runs upstairs, takes all her clo- her sort of work kit off, if you like, and her heels and everything off, and comes down. So she has five minutes on her own, and then comes down. I'm oh, mummy. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever version it is, I think yeah. it's important. Physically when you've changing got those your different... outfit yeah. is good. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, I have one last question for you, and I like to ask uh, a lot of my guests this question. I'm obsessed with morning routines. I think they can literally change your life, Um, and I think every successful person has some type of morning routine. Let's say you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed one morning. What do you do that ensures you'll bounce back and have an amazing day? So... Waking up on the wrong side of the morning, it's a good, it's a good, good question because this morning I was here, it was my co-founder's birthday yesterday and we had a very late dinner <laughs> and I ate really late, which I normally do not do. And I got home late. So I probably did wake up in a bit of a cranky mood this morning. So I guess for me, uh, what I do is I do a little, uh, uh, have a moment to myself doing my exercise. So I didn't always do that, but for the last two, three years, I have done 20 minutes on my own where I do, pil- I'm basically a Pilates person. So I love to do Pilates in the morning, do my stretching. And I then start to feel a little bit more human. And even if I'm late, you know, then I say, okay, I can't do 20, 30 minutes. I can do 10, but just do something because otherwise I find myself being a bit cranky and feeling a bit, um, inflexible quite literally (laughs) yeah and so I think it's important to to just have that moment and make it part of your routine and I realized that I was somebody who had to do something every day rather than go okay I'm going to go to that class twice a week something would happen I'd have a meeting or I'd have something else and just uh, you know that, that, that clashed but every morning you can make that little space just for yourself. And before life gets in the before way. Before life gets in the way. And also I like to get up and get ready before my kids mm. so that then when I'm having breakfast, I mean, I'm not saying it's not, it's certainly not perfect every day, but it's not total chaos. Mm. And I can actually chat to them and we can have a little bit of, a, you know, a bit of banter about the day and what happened yesterday. What time do you wake up? About any time between 6 and 6.30. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. That's no, I'm amazing. not a 5 a.m. You know, you have lots of these people who say, yeah. 5 a.m. No, no, I need my sleep. I did that for a bit, beginning of this, or actually, uh, like two weeks ago, I was doing it, the 5 a.m., because I, I read a book called The 5 a.m. Club. Changed my life. So for three weeks, beginning of January, I was waking up at 5, and then my body, like, you know, if I wasn't, because I've been pretty stressed lately about the whole thing I was telling you about earlier, 
my body just physically needed more sleep. So I listened to it and I've been waking up at like 6.37 more these days. But you do have to listen to your body. Yeah. It's so important. Totally. And also if you're running the amount of energy that you have and doing the kind of job that I do, your cortisol levels are pretty high most of the time. Yeah. So if you don't sleep, you're not repairing yourself. And that is the most important thing. So I totally, I'm not one of those people who say, okay, well, if you don't do an hour, you know, full cardio workout for work, mm-hmm. you're done for. I think actually just what is your, what is the moment for yourself and for some people it might be a walk around the block or it might be you know doing I don't know going on the running machine for five minutes whatever it is but something Mm. whatever your version is of that but sleep definitely Mm -hmm. prioritize got to be number one yeah when I have more of a routine I'll I'll try to do the 5am thing again but I don't know we'll see um you have to go to bed at about 8pm 10 10 10. (laughs) or 9 for for a whole 8 hours it's 9 but we'll see you have to kind of slowly get these routines going but I think that's incredible and and exercise actually just releases dopamine and all these amazing different hormones and chemicals in your body so you actually feel better feel more clear minded feel happier and that's great I love that advice thank you so much Anna for coming on my podcast today where can everyone find you and the company so if they go on to Albright Collective, they will find information about the clubs and information about the academy. And you can also obviously find us on Instagram. At Albright, right? Yeah, that's right. All right. Thanks. Thank you.